The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very honored to be able to welcome you to the Paul Leslie Hour, episode number 300. I'm excited to introduce Robert Earl Keane. He is one of the foremost voices in the world of Americana music, a singer, songwriter, distinguished performer with thousands of live shows to his credit. He's also a prolific recording artist. As a songwriter, he writes solo, but he's also co-written with some of the greats, including Lyle Lovett, Fred Kohler, Dean Dillon, just to name a few. Some great artists have covered his work from George Strait, Lyle Lovett, Nancy Griffith, the legendary supergroup The Highwaymen. He is also a podcast host. He hosts the Americana Podcast. It's a great honor to welcome a man called an Americana cult hero. Welcome, Robert O'Keen. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it's an honor. Mm-hmm. You're a very busy man. You do a lot of things. and a relentless touring schedule Uh, what would you say motivates you uh well i'm always struggling to uh you know get uh, get you know do this better all the time i i i'm not a perfectionist by nature but i am a solution-oriented person and i i'm always trying to make things better not only for you know uh the show and the songwriting, but, uh, you know, even, even my family and, and, uh, all my friends and associates. So I'm, I'm really, I don't know really where to stop, Paul. So I just keep going, trying to make things, you know, better in a, in a general universal way. I've listened to your podcast, the Americana podcast. And one thing that has eluded me and maybe other people as well. How would you define what Americana means? How would you define the style of what you do? I, I define it as uh, something that, you know, as a form of music that really springs from the kitchen table. Sitting down, playing playing a song, playing a song with your friends, writing a song, throwing in a few extra lines, maybe somebody else steps up. I mean, if you were making a play, it would be, you know, the kitchen table in the middle of the scene, and one person would walk out with a guitar and start strumming it, and then as things go along, you would just keep adding the different the different pieces of the puzzle until it becomes like one song. And at that point, you have uh, this... Um, Really, truly, uh, grassroots, um, homegrown piece of music, whereas, um, other music a lot of times is, um, formed by, uh, you know, groups of people. It's usually, so Americana generally starts from the single mind. Hmm. You are a singer songwriter with Texas roots, and maybe some of the listeners would have a certain image that would be conjured because of that. Do you think it's possible, being a singer-songwriter from Texas, to get pigeonholed? 
Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, one of the things that I knew from the very beginning when I first started touring, the first, you know, I, I played a few shows, open mic nights, that th- sort of thing in Austin, Texas. I was living in Austin and working for the state. I had an eight to five job and I'd run out of there at five o'clock and go play any place that I could play for uh, basic tips, you know, and, and set up my little PA system and play for tips, or I would show up at an open mic night later on that night and play a couple of songs there and worked that way. But I realized because Austin is such an uh, incredibly fertile music ground, you could see that, there, you know, there are people that had just started like me, but there are also people that have been there for years, and they were incredible musicians or incredible songwriters or incredible guitarists, and, you know, they hadn't moved anywhere, and I... It became immediately apparent that you had to get out. I mean, uh, I read somewhere that the, it, it, you can't be in a, you can't be a hero in your own backyard. So I wanted to get out of my backyard, and you know, you know before I even knew it, the first thing I did was like uh, book the show in Chicago at the Old Town School of Folk Music, and and played up there. And from then on, I, I knew that I had to get out in the world. So the the reality of the situation is. I knew that I had to step out of that Texas, uh, you know, you know, Willie Nelson, you know, Will and Jennings sort of, you know, thinking and, um, and, and it still, it still, you know, follows me around and I still sort of, uh, I have to tell people, no, I go all over. I have, I live in a little bitty town here in, in the hill country in Kerrville, Texas and people all the time say, man, we know you do some great stuff for the community and you play around here every now and then. But do you ever play outside of Kerr County? I go, oh yeah, I play. I play over in Kendall County and Gillespie County, and I play in Menard County and Tom Green County. I play in all the counties, the surrounding counties. And they go, are you are you joking with me? I'm like, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> On that note, you mentioning you know this show that you booked in Chicago, and if anyone wants to check the website, robertrealkeen.com. Coming to a city near you, would you say that traveling changes a person? Oh, absolutely. Does traveling change a person? Absolutely. I mean, on the on the downside, let's start with the downside. The downside is you become extremely isolated. I, I ride around about eighty percent of our shows are coming out of that bus that I ride around in. So I, I'm I'm going from town to town in a bus and you think that you might get to see a lot, but you you know, you see bits and pieces, but mostly what's happening is you're isolated in a cultural way. Like you don't really you know, you re- I really don't, I get really disconnected with you know what the music of the day is, what the what the news is, what the what the movies what movies are important, what's going on on Broadway, you know, and things like that. And unless I you know am picking up some magazines or some newspapers when I'm walking out of a motel, I'm really disconnected with the rest of the country. But on the other side, I know how beautiful different places are and when somebody says you know Asheville North Carolina I just you know I just start going oh my god just gushing about what a beautiful place this is or or what's going on in the northwest and you're like well you know here's the deal and the Oregon and the geography on the western side it's raining all the time and always people think that it's raining but if you go to the eastern side of Oregon it's this beautiful desert with like six kinds of topography within a hundred miles so it's you know, I know all those things, and they're all, 
You know, they're all little treasures that I have that I know when somebody starts talking about their hometown or some of their favorite places, I can just, like, feel right at home stepping in and talking about it. Something about so many of your songs, from my position as the listener, I can listen to some of the songs, and it's almost like a movie. Mm -hmm. And the characters, I can see them. I can imagine... This one, he's a little pudgy. Mm -hmm. This, you know, and I'm curious, when you're writing these songs, do you see the characters in your mind? Uh, yes, Paul. Huh. I, I, I'm very visual as a writer. I, as a matter of fact, almost all of my songs start with some kind of setting. I, I have to create a setting to create the characters to to move the to move the story along. So the for me the first first order of business on most I mean I've written every kind, all kinds of songs so it's crazy but if I'm just talking about you know the songs that I sit down and comfortably write then my first order of business is creating the setting you know where are we like I said earlier you know okay we're at the kitchen table in the middle of a theater right in the, on stage in the middle of the theater and you take it from there and you start adding pieces to it until it becomes uh you know one picture and then you start adding characters and, and create the story from there and the story moves on and then it goes to some, to me, some logical end. I mean, you can, you can pick any ending you want to, but it's, it's the logical end that I like. So I, I create songs by creating a setting. Hmm. Very interesting. What would you say stokes the flames? of the inspiration for you what would you say is your greatest well of inspiration solitude i would say <laughs> so i would when i i want to really dig down and write what i would consider something that not necessarily has hasn't been said before but uh something that to me has a poignant perspective and that that has some meaning for myself and so uh enable and to be able to do that i really need to be by myself and start with that nugget now that being said there are times when i'll write a few lines or a, about a half of a song or something and realize that i'm kind of stuck and i'll put it down and I might bring it back later in a you know like I might be sitting around the bus and think oh, I need to finish this song from there I can finish something but that nugget like you're talking about that that magical uh, stone that's living there in, in in my brain or in my soul that that comes from solitude another thing that strikes me about a lot of your songs it's not every songwriter that you can be as entertained reading the lyrics on a page <laughs> as you are listening to the music. And there's a lot of your songs that translate into almost like prose. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping you can tell us what role has literature had in, in your writing? Uh, I've always been a reader, uh, not as, not as voracious as, you know, say my wife or some of my friends, but I, I'm always reading some books, you know, got something that I'm, I'm, you know, kind of into at the time. Um, so, but other than that, I was an English major at Texas A&M University and, and 
that was a, a great, great part of my life as far as like learning about literature and being exposed to different forms of literature and different perspectives. And uh, so when I think about writing a song, somehow it translates to the fact that a lot of the literature that I read, going back to being very visual, which were, were things that were very visual to me. And uh, let's say Coleridge's The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is very, if you read about that and, and read that poem, it's extremely visual and, and beautiful and tragic at the same time. And then, you know, and so most of the the literature that I read that I really liked uh, had to do with things that, you know, stirred my imagination. And so consequently, I think I've just, you know, in some ways I've been, the torch has been passed to me to, you know, to take up that effort to stir one's imagination. Something about your audience that I've noticed is you could encounter someone who's very young. You could encounter someone who's very reserved and older. There's a lot of variety in your audience, but have you noticed any commonality in your fans? That's a good question. Um, uh, well, other than the fact that they love, uh, you know, music, songwriter-oriented music or, or, or singer-songwriter music in general, most of them, you know, have some experience with that. There are quite a few that just, you know, heard, you know, that I was, you know, that, that people liked going into my show. And that, you know, that just, the commonality there is people want to come to a good show and be entertained. I believe, uh, like, uh, like someone once said, that what I do is, is, entertainment with a big E and art with a little A. And so um, <laughs> I'm out there to try to, you know, entertain people when I'm on stage. When I'm writing, I'm, I'm kind of a different mindset. But when I'm on stage, I feel like it is the entertainer's job to entertain. And, you know, I love to be entertained as much as any anyone. So, you know, I, I go to see other people and I'll go, ah, a little flat, you know, or, oh, this is fun. Oh, this person ought to continue with this line right here. This is really, really happening. And so I, I like entertainment. So I want to get out there and I don't want to waste anybody's time. I want I want them to enjoy it and I want me to enjoy it as well. As I was mentioning at the beginning of the interview, you've written with some great writers. Uh-huh. Who would you like to write with that you haven't yet? Uh, Sade, you know, that would be really, that, yeah. That's my uh, that, that's that's my dream dream writer that I would like to write with, and that's because I think she's underrated as a writer, and I think her songs are incredibly beautiful and. And, uh, you know, somewhat heartbreaking. I, lo- I love this, I love this beautiful darkness that she has. And, you know, most of her songs are songs that she wrote. So, you know, when you listen to those songs, you hear, uh, you, you know, you, you hear common themes and threads. And I just always, you know, from the first time I ever got kind of hip to her, I started saying, man, I would like to write with that person. So that, that would be, that would be someone that would be my dream fantasy to write with. Someone that I might, you know, write with that would be more realistic, 
would be I don't know somebody like Neil Young. You know, I would let, I'd love to write with Neil Young. I think um, he has a he has a certain simplicity to his thing, and then as well some beautiful color there. So I, I'd like to you know at least have the chance to sit down. I have to say, I never would have thought Sade would have been <laughs> the first part, but now that I'm thinking about it, something that you've always kind of done is is the unexpected. I remember hearing certain tracks and and thinking, wow, that's so cool. Who would have thought to have a, a saxophone there? But man, does that sound great mm-hmm. and unexpected, but in mm-hmm. in a very entertaining way. Mm-hmm. So on the note of unexpected, is there any mode of expression that you plan to attempt that you haven't yet? Oh, Paul, I, right now, I, 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 and my hands are so full that I, I've, <laughs> I'm even scared to even like venture out into that world. But I mean, to be honest, I, I'd say I would really like to get involved in writing some kind of, you know, Broadway musical. I'd love to write in a musical sense, like the way musical songs are put together where they're complex and they're, they're speaking to the audience uh, constantly from the beginning to the end. And it's not something that you're supposed to sit there and, and sort of absorb as a song and say, Oh, this is, you know, this is a, a beautiful, beautiful song here that it almost attacks you in its, in its presence and you have to either get with it or you may, maybe you don't like it, but the fact is it's right there for you to just grab onto. So I love that and I love the format of, of Broadway musical songs. Uh, you know, they're, they're complex. They, they, uh, you know, they'll have a first chorus, bridge, channel, chorus back to some aside, some speaking thing, and it's just like fun. It looks just like this is the kind of thing that I'd love to, you know, try. Fascinating. Would you ever make a Robert Earl Keen jazz album? Ah, uh, um... Uh, I don't... I, you know, this is the qu- kind of question I would say that's like um, my... My thought about like working in prose. I, I love, I, I love prose and I love, like to be, you know, like write, you know, short stories or that kind of thing, novel, that kind of thing. But I have so much respect for the people that do it well. I would never insult them. So I would have to <laughs> say no. I would have to say no on the jazz question. With the number of songs that you've written in all different formats, bluegrass, some that are like spoken word, really. Would it be possible to pick a song from your discography that you think best presents you, or that if you could present it to, if you if you had the opportunity to present it to a mass of people, you would? Mm-hmm. You mean best represents me as a songwriter, or best represents my personal, you know, my inner person? As a songwriter. As a songwriter. Yeah, uh, the song, uh, Not a Drop of Rain, which was covered by Sean Colvin uh, a couple of years ago, is a song that is a bit sleepy, but as far as like its, um, its tone, the way the words fit together, the way the narrative works out from being very still to almost sort of storm-like, 
I, it's a song that I, I wish more people heard or, or more people even said, you know, you know, would attribute to me because it's a, um, it's pro, it's probably one of my, as far as being proud of a, the song for the, what it is, it would be probably right up there at the very top. On that note, with the, the Sean Colvin cut, could you say who did the best performance or recording of a Robert Earl King song? Uh, there was a band that uh, just shocked me. It's so funny. I got this record, and it was and it was by a band called Cry, Cry, Cry. And it was uh, Lucy Kaplansky, Dar Williams, and Richard Schindel, all East Coast, all people, Northeast people, uh, you know, that had a really good had really good careers up there, and they were mostly really you would consider them folk artists. And they had this. I guess they only had the one album. But anyway, the band they put together was called Cry, Cry, Cry. And someone sent me a CD several years ago of that particular band, and I'm looking on the back of it, looking at the titles to the song, which is something that I always do. I think titles really do, uh, you know, tell you what you're dealing with in a song or a songwriter. And so I'm looking at this record, and I see, like, you know, cut number five, it says Shades of Grey, and I think, oh, that's funny, I've got this song called Shades of Grey, that's pretty interesting, and then I just tossed it on the desk and didn't do anything, and so, you know, one day, you know, when I'm in between talking on the phone and trying to figure out the next gig that I'm, you know, how we're going to get there, I pick up this record, and I look at that song again, I think, oh, you know, let's see what this sounds like, and I put it in this player, and it was my song, and it was this fantastic version of this song. And it was, and these these guys were really great players and great singers. And I, you know, that it totally blew me away. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Someone that you've performed many shows with and written with, we mentioned Lyle Lovett. Uh-huh. Who is Lyle when you get to know him? Uh, he is a very thorough and heartfelt human being and he's he is extremely uh, intellectually curious and curious just by nature and so what you would be surprised at is how much he would be willing to find out about you and your life he's very he's very interested in other people and talking to other people and he has this incredibly encyclopedic knowledge of all the people he, he met, I mean, he's like the almost like the mythical, you know, say, famous politician who knew everybody's name from his first grade teacher to the, you know, somebody he just met 10 minutes ago. And he has this amazing ability to remember people and and remember their stories. So he's, uh, you know, always surprising to me. I'm, uh, I've known him for Jesus, about forty years. So, um, so I, I'm always surprised at how he, how he remembers these things and how curious he is about people in their lives. What about you? What would we be surprised to know about Robert Earl King? Hmm. Um, that I, as much as I put out on records about like kind of I don't know a wild and colorful life that I'm I'm basically. Uh, Pretty tame. I mean, I guess pretty tame compared to people I know in my family, right? But I'm I'm uh, a lot more about home and family than than anybody knows. I I you know I have 
I have a, a couple of girls and my wife, and I would do anything to make sure that they're doing their best and doing okay. That's not mean that I, I um, that doesn't mean that I like put them in a place where they're they're on a pedestal or anything. I just I'm always just trying to help them as much as I can as far as like being having a good family and being in in our lives. So that's you know family man. I would say that would be unusual for some people. What is the best thing about being Robert Earl Keane? Uh, you know, lately, Paul, I, I have a bit of celebrity, so I'm I'm always like, and I've always walked around this world, you know, thinking that I was somewhat invisible, and so, you know, I run into people all over this place, you know, hey, hey, Robert Earl, I'm gonna, you know, sorry, this and this and that, so it's, uh, you know, kind of cheers me up. I kind of feel like I'm not so invisible anymore, so that would be probably the best thing. Well, I should tell you this. It was about maybe maybe eight, nine years ago. I was the guest on a radio show, and it was a call-in show. And I'll never forget this lady's voice. I'm not making fun of her, but she had such a very precise way of speaking. Uh-huh. And she didn't say hello, and I didn't say hello. The moment we had a connection, and I guess she heard that click, she said, Have you ever considered interviewing Robert Earl Keene? <laughs> and I wonder if she's listening to this. But that was eight, <laughs> nine, ten years ago. Yeah. And so I guess to that lady, the answer is yes and yes. But uh, <laughs> I always like to give my guests the stage. Mm-hmm. Let them just address the audience. There are right. people listening from all over. Right. What would you say to anyone who is tuned in? Tuned in. Oh, okay. To to the show right now? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say I would say that you know my life is about being out there in the world and entertaining people and being entertained. And if they if they've seen a show or they've never seen a show, I would really invite them to come to a show because I think that, like I said earlier, I struggle all the time to make it better and better. And I think at this point in my life, thousands of shows you know in my back pocket. And, you know, plenty of work, plenty of songs to, to go to and, and use as, as, you know, my treasure chest to, to throw out there to the world. And I change my set list every, every day, every night. I would want them to come to a show. That would be, that would be my, you know, that's the best thing that I can do in this life is, is try to make people enjoy their lives for, you know, that two hours that I'm on stage. And if anyone wants to do that, there are tour dates up on RobertEarlKeen.com. RobertEarlKeen.com. So my last question, how do you define Robert Earl Keen? Who is Robert Earl Keen? Wow, that's a tough one. I, you know, Paul, I, I always think that it's it's easier to define other things outside oneself than to define oneself. And I and I don't you know, I really don't know. I would have to just say I'm just I'm pretty much like everybody else. I'm, you know, walking around this earth putting my pants on one leg at a time and and trying my best to do do what's do the right thing. So I think uh in to be able to try to be objective about me, I would have to say that I'm uh, trying to do my best like anyone else. Mm. Mr. Keene, 
Thank you very much for your participation in this show. Thank you for being the guest for episode number 300. Wow, congratulations. It's an honor to talk to you. It's an honor to talk to you, Paul. Thank you for having me on your show. This is really, this is really exciting. My pleasure. All right, sir. Well, I'll be in the audience when you're at the Variety Playhouse in Atlanta. Oh, great. So, one of my favorites. <laughs> yes, quite a, quite a place, isn't it? Yeah, that's a great one. I love, I love the Variety. All right, sir. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you. See you down the road. All right, sir. Bye bye. Goodbye.